Welcome to Your Mental Breakdown, the podcast where you get to follow along with a client in real therapy sessions. And you'll hear two licensed psychotherapists. That's us. Breaking it down afterwards, so you get a look behind the curtain. In this episode, we talk about doing the best you can with what you've got. During the session, we learn about Drew's night terrors, as well as why he and his brother haven't spoken in 10 years. And in the breakdown afterwards, we'll talk about how every session won't be life-altering and why that's okay. Stick around. Welcome. I am Meredith Levy. And I am Doug Friedman. And And this this is is Your Mental Mental Breakdown. Breakdown. Hi, Doug. Hey, Mare Mare. So good to see you. <laughs> we come up with a new name for you every time. Oh, my God. Yes. Only because last week we were talking about all your different names. Yes. There's so, so many. Yeah. Yeah. What else do you got besides Doug I, and Dougie? You know, I, not even Dougie. I, I used to get that from some people sometimes. You a lot. I know. I never, I played a lot of sports growing up. I never had a real nickname. I was so bummed at that. And I remember one of my good friends who played with me since we were you know, nine years old and he had a bunch of nicknames too. He was trying to help me come up with a nickname. He even called me a few things and none of it stuck. I have so many for you. Really? Big D. <laughs> Lil D. <laughs> okay. Your sister actually and I were talking the other day. Yeah. We were talking the other day about names and how at one point in your life you had changed your name. Sure. Yep. Which I was unaware of your full name originally. Right. Can we say it? But yeah, I was born your Douglas Albert Friedman. Which is just the fucking best thing I've ever heard. Really? Douglas Albert Friedman? Yes. Well, all right. I'll take it. I mean, come on. Well, and there was a while where it was your middle name and the street you lived on was like your- Stripper name. Oh, stripper name? I was thinking much earlier <laughs> in my life. So was your what? I don't think I was 12 and stripping. It was like your, I don't know, there's all these generators now online where it's like yeah. your stripper name, you're this name, you're yeah. that name. It, it might have just been your stage name. So you said you weren't stripping yet when you were 12. Not yet. Okay. No, okay. no. It started more like when I was 17. <laughs> um, and my my stripper name was Albert Collins. Ooh. I was like, ooh, that's very distinguished. I think there's some old blues guitarist that's Albert Collins. Oh, nice. Like, oh, all right. That's but, cool, but taken. Yeah. Damn. Oh, right. Okay. So I changed my name yeah. because of that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Got it. Yeah. So speaking of name changing. That's right. We were calling this client, I think <laughs> you called him hip hop a couple of times. Which I don't know why, just so you guys are aware. I've never actually met him or seen him nope. or any of it. That's I right. have my own picture in picture in my head of what he is, what he looks like. Right. I don't know why. And for some reason, I just like, even though he literally is from Canada and then Seattle. Right. In my mind, he has this like, like flavor. He's got this, you know, and yeah. again, he yeah. does, right? Because he's a designer and sure. I don't know what fucking kind of music he listens to. But in my mind, it's like hip hop and he's got this like. It sounds like he almost has like a Brooklyn accent kind of. Interesting. Um, well, he's certainly got like lingo that's yeah, younger I guess. than our vernacular. I mean, I am super young. So just saying. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I just nicknamed him hip hop. I don't know why. But then we actually had to give him a name. Right, right. Realizing it just didn't seem right to just say this guy. Right. So we have now called our first client, named him. So we named him Andrew, which we're not calling him Andrew. We're just calling him Drew. I'll call him Andrew when I'm mad at him. Fine. <laughs> Andrew? Um, but then Drew turns into like diggity Drew, 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 <laughs> little Drew, big Drew. For you, sure. Of yeah. course. Absolutely. Yeah. I probably will alternate with Drew and Andrew. Okay. It's and, fine. And we'll see. But for everybody out there, of course, his confidentiality is paramount. Right. So we're not using his real name. Right. And any names that he refers to, if they're names that might identify people in his life or lead to him, we're probably going to take that out. Some of them are not consequential, so you'll hear some names. Sometimes we just cut him using names out. Sometimes we'll probably put in a fake name and you'll hear. I mean, we won't try to trick you with it. It'll be like, yeah, so the other day I was talking to 
Robert. And he said, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll, it'll, yeah. I, I want it to stick out. You'll I, understand why. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like keeping it very confidential and as much as we can. Yeah. Still letting him do this. And as we said to you, you know, a few weeks ago when we introduced this, he's agreed to this. You know, he knows this is going on. He's probably listening to these and, and talking about these. And what he shares and who he shares it with is entirely up to him. And I think some people out there might want to find out who he is. And that's not the spirit of this at all. Exactly. Uh, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. If you do that, okay, go for it. It's up um, to him what he wants to reveal and to who. Exactly. To whom. Who, whom? Not sure. All, everybody. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you hear or see what people are saying more than I do. Yeah, I do. Because I care more. <laughs> JK. L-O-L. I'm learning to care about the people out there. Okay, good. Um, yeah. So a few questions. So there was a few points or multiple points during the last session where you sort of took what he was saying and came up with these, for lack of a better term, brilliant concepts, or, you know, he took these things from, by the end of the sessions, he walked away with this whole, like, oh shit, this made so much sense. And it clicked for me. And, you know, oh, last week I used all this stuff we talked about and they were wondering why don't they have that same experience with their therapist? It's just a different approach, right? Yeah, because honestly, in my sessions, my clients don't walk away with all this insightful knowledge every session. Sometimes we just talk about, I don't know, boys. We often talk about boys. Sure. So yeah, it's a different style, but I think some of the listeners are going to look at you and have this expectation of, holy shit, I need to walk out with these epiphanies every week. And yeah, I'm guessing yeah. that maybe doesn't happen all the time. It certainly doesn't happen all the time. I, I'm constantly looking for how a client might learn something best, how they might be able to apply something best. That's why I don't think learning a clinical term or clinically what's going on. I mean, here's psychological expression of this means this, and that, that's the dry stuff. Some people really do like that. And even some of my clients, some of my other clients really want to know why something's happening or what is that about? And where does that come from? And we'll talk about that and I'll, I'll introduce a clinical term and then we'll, we'll break that down. But what you're talking about is a sense of having tools and having, you know, analogies that, that are applicable to them and other people wanting that. Well, okay. In part, keep listening to the podcast and you'll get that. Exactly. You know, another part is it's just my background is I, I've been an actor and a musician, so I'm constantly listening for and using those skills of improv and creativity. I love giving clients things, but I remember having a an intern working with me and they were practically jumping out of their seat when they heard a client talking about wanting to stop using a substance. And they were jumping out of their seat to give them like, here's AA, here's this thing, here's mm. this resource. I'm like, whoa, what do you, what's going on? Right. Like, well, they needed resources and I had resources to give. I'm like, they weren't there yet. They were just telling you about an issue, right? And I think even therapists sometimes really feel like they want to give clients tools. Absolutely. So if you're walking out and you don't have tools, it's not for lack of the therapist wanting to give you them or for lack of you finding them, it, it just might not have been what came up or came through in that session. Right. right. Another viewer really connected with shooting all over yourself. So <laughs> just wanted to say that again, because I like saying shooting all over yourself. Yeah. It's a fun thing. Yeah. It's funny. I first heard that term listening to Tony Robbins talk. Really? Yeah. And he's got this way about him. It's so powerful and motivating when you hear him almost too much so, almost intimidating, you know, with that flat jaw or whatever you call that, like the Jay Leno jaw. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. he's like, you got to do this. And you got, it's like Hulkamania wild, right? I've actually never listened to him. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. I am this amazing without listening to Tony Robbins. Man. How crazy. Imagine if I did listen, can't do it. Something I was wondering, and maybe our listeners need to hear a couple more sessions to understand the depth of your analogies and how often you use them. And please don't jump down my throat, everybody, for saying this, but do you have analogies for girls? Oh, yeah. Okay. Because you have every single... 
sports, cars, driving stick. I know girls can like sports and cars and sure. all that stuff and Star Wars and all of it. I was just wondering what happens. Oh, you know. no, I've got Barbie dolls, oh. sewing, cooking, cleaning. Oh, my God, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> no, I, I, absolutely. I mean, that that's it's learning the person that, that you're talking to. Even some guys, uh, especially those that I work with in, in the creative arts, won't get the sports stuff. Right. So I can't really use them. There are some, you know, analogies that might be sports, but everybody understands it. Right. And right? I love to drive stick. Don't get me wrong. Did that sound weird? <laughs> <laughs> That's and that's in one I use with girls. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I get it, that sexist comments, but I was just wondering. Yeah, I, I think kind of what I'm looking forward to is being able to add another client to this that is female. So you get to hear that because you're a lot of people that, you know, have talked to me already about this are very interested to hear how I sound with a client. But this is how I sound with this client. Exactly. How I sound with a client twice his age might be different. Right. I'm interested to hear that. Yeah. Well, stick around. It, it could be coming up. I sure will. But what is coming up in this one? You're going to hear quite a few analogies. Love to hear how you guys apply them to yourselves and what you think of them. I'm really curious if it resonates with people. It, it's one thing that for me, I've used in the room a lot because it resonates with whoever I'm talking to. I, I kind of feed off of that and I go with it with them. If it doesn't work, I kind of abandon it. We move on to something else, but I, I don't know if it's, if it's universal. I mean, all of them stick with me. I think they're fucking amazing. Honestly, even though I don't know much about, I know a lot about everything. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I know a little bit about a lot of things. Yes. Right? Me too. I am the master of none. Right. Just um, enough to get in trouble. Although I, I think I mentioned before I, I can play ping pong. You did mention yeah. that. Yeah. I'm actually not even that good. I shouldn't keep saying that. But for me, I'm good. If we ever go on tour, we're going to have a ping pong <gasps> table. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But yes, I do. I think your analogies are awesome. And I think, and you guys will hear coming up and I don't know if it's this episode or the next one, how much he clings to them. And he was like, holy shit, things just clicked for me when you said that. Right. And I love those moments. Yeah, me too. It's, it's part of why I use it and why I like it. Stick around, listen up and see what you get out of my next session with Andrew. We'll talk to you again in just a minute. Something that struck me from the very first time we talked, you know, when you were telling me about the night terrors, mm -hmm. I think you even said like, that's one of the things that brought you in in the first place. Mm -hmm. Like those night terrors are gnarly. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. We can talk about it in the daytime. Yeah. But at nighttime, you might not want to go near it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I don't know, like the night terror specifically I've dealt with for the last 15 years of my life. And so, and so it's one of those things where it's like, I've always had it. And so I've never, even like this last week, I feel like I've, I've had like one, you know, which is like a crazy like feat for me in an entirety. Yeah. But again, I still have them. You know what I mean? And so like, to your point, like I'm old, like that's always going to be there. It's just like figuring out what do I do? you know, with, with the good and the bad and balancing and, and, right. and bringing the good with the bad and, and figuring that out right now, I think is kind of where I'm at and understanding with myself that like there's good and there's bad, there's ebbs and flows. Sure. And, and so I'm on a good right now, but mm -hmm. I, I know I got to figure it out. It's a little bit on matter of perspective, yeah. right? If I told you to, to drive back down to Vernon right mm -hmm. now, mm -hmm. right? And count the number of red cars that you saw on the road. Mm. right you just picture yourself driving and seeing red cars yeah put a number in your head okay right got a number yeah great so if you call me when you get to vernon you call me and you go all right doug got it yeah and i said great all right how many white cars were there <laughs> what yeah right I, I didn't count the white cars right so if i say to you all right all right Drive back up here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> First, you can curse me out, right? <laughs> but then drive back up here, but count the white cars this time. Mm -hmm. So drive back up here. Easy to picture because you just did that drive, right, right? Right. Put a number in your head. Uh -huh. Got a number for the white cars? Yep. Okay. You walk up here, you sit down. You know what I'm going to say. Uh -huh. You go, hey, how many red cars did you see on the way up here? <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Don't know. Right. How many red cars on the drive down did you see? 37. 37. How many white cars on the way back up? 42. 42. 37 and 42. Mm -hmm. Got it. But on the way down, were there white cars on the road? Of course. Yeah. 
but we have no idea how many. Yeah. I was just looking at the 37 red cars. Yeah. On the way back up, how many red cars were there? Mm. Don't know. Were they there? Yeah. Yeah. Red and white will always be there. In mm. fact, there's almost every color of the rainbow here in LA. Right. Right. Yeah. It probably isn't even a rainbow colored car. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is that the good and the bad, mm. they're both going to be out there at all times. Mm. Whatever we're looking for is what we're focused on, is what we're going to find, is what we feel is all around us. Mm-hmm. You know, if when you got down to Vernon and I called you and was like, hey, all right, man, how many red cars did you see? Mm-hmm. You're like, 37. They were fucking everywhere, man. <laughs> all over the place. I can't stand it. They're, yeah. I mean, that's what we'd be talking about. Right. Right? Yeah. So it's that matter of perspective. And it's to a degree when there's good things and bad things, we can focus on them and that will take all of our, you know, all of our mindset. We'll be looking at just that. Mm-hmm. I also want to make sure we're not just going, okay, on the way up, I saw 42 white cars, but I know there's red out there. So I don't want to, I, I don't want to trust that the white cars are there. I, I don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we're discounting the good because I know a bad's going to happen. Right. I want to be careful that we don't do that. Just being aware that it's all out there. Right. Yeah. And, and I think now, now hearing that, it's like, I almost feel like I'm really focusing on the good because I, like, I have to, I have to bring that back into my life. Right. Um, and so that really puts in perspective as like, I haven't even been thinking about the bad. You know, I, I've been so focused on, okay, if a bad thought comes up, throw a good one in there. And right. so now I'm focused on the good, good, good. It almost scares me to a certain degree. How so? Because cause I feel like when things are good, they're great. I don't even feel like I need to deal with the other half. It, and so mm. it's like, now mm. I'm at a spot where it's like, okay, I've been dealing with this for a while. And and so I've seen patterns and, and like, I know going up, there's always a down. And so it's like, I feel like I'm on the up now and I want to level it to where I can balance everything yeah. and not have these ups and downs and ups and downs. I kind of want to be consistent and and constantly know both are out there Sure. And constantly dealing with them. But basically kind of where I'm at is like, I'm at a comfortable spot in my job to where I'm not rushing to get things, Mm. which has been a constant in my last 15 months. Sure. It's always been a go, 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 go get it. Go, go buy this, go find the new, go, 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 go. Right. And now I'm kind of at a spot where it's like, okay, you have time to figure out what you want to do, which is cool from a design perspective because it gives me creative ability to sit down and do what I want to do. Yeah. But on the flip side, I feel like it's it's really hard now because I don't have that pressure of having to go, go, go. And so it's like, I don't want to lose that fire because like I need that. Mm-hmm. But I can feel myself being comfortable. It's not that I don't like it, but it's new for me. That's a key right there. It's not that I don't like it. It's that it's new. Yeah. A lot of these things that, that you and I are going to be talking about that you're going to start seeing week to week it's going to feel uncomfortable because it's not familiar yet. Yeah. It's new and it's different. And if we keep reminding ourselves, oh, this is new and this is different. And we keep saying that in our heads, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes out loud. And one client who was writing it on post-it notes and put post-it notes, you know, all over her house, mm-hmm. like this is new and different and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Right. And it's recognizing that. So we don't fight it. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't work against it. And, and that idea that, you've had for a long time was I like being active. I like being on the go. I'm, I'm like, I mean, that's the people that I've gravitate towards are the people that are always doing things and always. Mm-hmm. And now you're talking about being slowed down, which is great mm-hmm. because it's helping us find balance. Mm-hmm. You know, when a pendulum swings, it swings one way, then the other way, mm-hmm. then a little less that way, then a little less this way, you know, and mm-hmm. it finds its center somehow. And I think that's, what I think of when I think of you going and going, going, mm-hmm. especially with these, like the good and the bad or, or do this and do be active, be calm mm-hmm. is you're going to find that middle. And that middle is going to oscillate a little bit, mm-hmm. right? It's not going to be stagnant and still. So balance for you is not all good or all bad. It's not even that flat line mm-hmm. that I just want everything to be even all the way. No, it's just recognizing there are going to be little ups and downs yeah. within, you know, a certain tolerable rate yeah right yeah. that will be okay with you so you don't feel complacent right. and lazy yeah and now you got to get your ass in gear and be so active and all over the place and burning it at both ends mm-hmm. right definitely so i mean you're talking a lot about good and bad and, and the, the hustle and the, and the calm that's finding balance right. 
you know, and if you're geared that way and thinking balance, mm -hmm. you're going to be able to adjust to it, even though it's new and different. Mm -hmm. But I'm gearing up to go venture out on my own in this mm -hmm. industry. And I've been wanting to for a while, you know, I mean, like that was like the whole point of me moving here and like getting into what I'm doing and, and all of that it was the bigger picture, you know, and, mm. and now I'm finding steps to get there. And I feel like it's all coming into place in like a really cool way. But that freaks the fuck out of me because I have a comfortable job. Mm -hmm. I know what I'm doing. Right. I can go in day in, day out. No problem. And not really have like any like new stress, new worries it's like i know what's coming and i know how to handle it and so like now it's like okay if i do go venture out on my own it's a completely different world you know and so like that's kind of another thing that i want to do in the next like year or two uh, of figuring what that looks like which goes back to my five-year plan i'll have the right tools with me to deal with what comes i mean some people say you know personal growth is you know a lifelong thing mm -hmm. we're always evolving yeah okay that's fine. I think what you're looking at is, can I find that, you know, range that my pendulum can swing in? You know, mm -hmm. can I find that balance for myself and go, yes, I feel good about my well-being and that I'm in this zone. Mm -hmm. Now I can move forward. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, a lot of what you're talking about, venturing out on your own, what you're describing falls under what we were talking about a little while ago with it being new and different and yeah. just needing to adjust to that. It's also not that pressure of right now, got to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, or this is my job is horrible and I got to get out. No, you, you don't have any pressure in that sense right. on you. So we have a unique opportunity to look at how do we set you up to succeed mm -hmm. instead of setting up to fail? Because, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people like to take a leap of faith or they say that, you know, the true entrepreneurial spirit jumps off the cliff and builds the airplane on the way down. <laughs> mm -hmm. right. Okay, that's cool, but I'd rather jump off on a hang glider. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? Absolutely. Right? So setting you up to succeed, and, and we don't have to do it right now, but looking at what would that look like? Mm -hmm. You know, what would that mean for the actions that you're taking and how you're thinking about things and how you're feeling about things? And I love that you kind of go, well, wait, first, I'm just taking care of me, mm -hmm. my well-being. That's first. Mm -hmm. When I've got that straight, then I can take some steps. Mm -hmm. And no matter what, those steps will be new and different. Yeah. But we'll look at success, not failure. How do we set up for that? Mm -hmm. Right? How do we not be falling off a cliff going, wait, what how where does the wing go? How does this go here? Right? <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that? No, I I uh I think with me slowing down and, and kind of um taking a step back and, and figuring out one what the next five years, ten years looks like and how do I get there and then realizing my day-to-day -day struggles it's like i've never really been prepared to do anything in the mm. sense of like me personally like like as a whole i've never been ready to just feel like I, i'm ready to go what would I, that even be i think a sense of security you know of like everything's gonna be okay every, like it will work out it's like when uh when the thought arises of like okay i i know i can go do it the first thing i think about is what if i fail you know, what if, what if it goes bad? What am I going to do? What's my backup plan? Right. All of that kind of stuff, um, which I don't think is a bad thing. You know, I, I think I should be prepared for everything, but I honestly believe that that's what's holding me back. You know, that, that fear of insecurity and that yeah. fear of, okay, if I do put myself out there in this industry, I can either do really, really well, or I can be even alive. And so it, it's just that fear of, of almost the unknown. Absolutely. And that's been a theme for you, mm -hmm. you know, talking about separation, anxiety, going to school, being without mom, mm -hmm. all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. and we're hitting like one of you. Man's biggest fear is the fear of the unknown. Right. Your biggest fear has been that fear of the unknown. You <laughs> faced it, yeah. you know, a lot throughout your life. Yeah. And I feel like me venturing now into doing all of that, mm -hmm. the, the, the biggest thing is I have to do it alone, you know, because like my friends and family don't necessarily understand any of this. Right. You know, coming from where I come from, they're not excited about it. They don't like get hype up about it. it it's just like, cool, that, that's cool. And so realizing that like it's completely on me for me to do me. Right. That's the scary part. At the end of the day, people have the family to go back to, to be like, this is what I'm doing. I want full support. Uh, like, I want you like to want to do this with me. What is that? What does that serve for us? What does that give us? Security. Totally. You know, 100%. Yep. You know, I'm, um, 
I think the other biggest thing I'm dealing with right now is my brother. And like I said, I haven't talked to him in years. Yeah, you said last time we talked, I think, or two times ago, it was you said 10 years, like yeah. doing the math. Like that means you were 14, he was 16. Mm-hmm. And that's when you guys stopped. I mean, you're like young teenagers at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember what happened or what was there like an event or something that tipped it off or something that Yeah. 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 Um, so up in Canada, my grandparents live there. And so they have a house and they have two cabins. In the cabins, like the really thin walls, like it, it's like a four bedroom, but the really small rooms type of situations out in the woods. Right. Um, and so me and my brother growing up would always sleep in the same rooms. There's two twin beds. He gets one, I get one. We had the option to take different rooms. Right. But we'd always sleep in the same room together because it was comfortable. Sure. Um, and then one night, I think I was, yeah, I was 13, maybe 14 years old. And um, I was laying in bed. My brother was in the other bed. And so my mom, she was drunk that night. And my dad, he was drinking too. And so like alcohol is in the mix. And then all of a sudden they start yelling, fighting, whatever, whatever, back and forth, back and forth. And we can hear all of it, you know, because it's, you can hear everything they're saying. Sure. And then it got to the point where, where my mom was like, well, I'm just going to fucking leave. And it was wintertime in Northern Canada. It's like minus 20 and she's <laughs> drunk. Like she goes out wow. and she's going to die. Right. You know, like that, it's just what it is. And so he was like, fuck it. Like do whatever you want. Like I can't, I can't do this anymore. And mm. so I realized that, okay, if he's not going to help her and she walks out, she's going to, like, she's going to die. And so I stood up and he was like, sit the fuck down. If you go out there right now. Your brother or your dad? My brother. Right. And he was like, if you go out there right now, I'm never talking to you again. Don't fucking do this. And I was like, dude, she needs help. Like, I need to go help her. Nobody else is going to. Hmm. And so I went out. Dad went to bed. She's on the couch crying. I picked her up, put her in bed. Like, are you okay? Like, please just go to sleep. Don't do anything. She passes out. I'm like, all right, cool. I don't remember what happened the next day or like what happened after that. But that was the situation where it was like, okay, that was the last time I remember being like in a room with my brother like that. And then after that, I don't remember a single time where we talked, slept in the same room, hung out, anything. Wow. I never really had the opportunity to sit down and talk to him in any degree. And so that was just kind of it. I mean, like it got to the point when I was... When I was in ninth grade, he was in 11th grade. And that's when we started going to the same high school. Yeah. And so I would ride to school with him because he would drive, but we wouldn't talk. So, like, he would be driving. I'd be in the, in the passenger seat. And, like, I was usually stoned, honestly. And so like, I would just sit there and kind of be on my phone. And 15-minute drive to school, I can power through that, no problem. And then we go our ways. How do you make sense of that now? I'm mean, just recounting this to me. And, and even mm-hmm. that night, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot that we can dig into with that. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, we're not, we're talking about your brother. We're not even touching mom right now, but mm-hmm. that's hugely impactful. Right. Hugely. I mean, at 13, 14 years old. And when you said between 13 and 16 is when I was aware that she had a problem with alcohol and pills. So you, you knew, but you played that role of caretaker. I've got to take care of her. No mm-hmm. one else will. And even your brother going, I will never talk to you again if you go out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's rough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, that same year, this kid, he was my bully in high school. Mm-hmm. It's like everybody has one, but he was mine. And it got really, really bad. And that's the first time that I really was like, I don't want to say suicidal because that's not the right word for it, but had started having those thoughts of like, I can just be done with this. Like I can't, like there's too much going on. I can't deal with this anymore. I'm just done. And so I looked to my brother being my big brother. I was like, hey man, like you're in high school. I need your help. Like this kid's in my grade. Can you please help me? And he was like, fuck off, no. And so that led me, I had this other friend and he was a big time drug dealer. And so he was gang affiliated, all this stuff. And so I, I and he was my friend. You know, and like at that time in my life, I really didn't have that many people that I could really trust. And so I looked at him and I was like, hey, man, this is what's going on. Like, I need your help. And he instantly was like, I got you. Got into this crazy altercation with my bully and cops got called, like all this stuff on both of them almost at jail time. Like it got really, really bad. And then that's when my brother really was like, I'm fucking done with you. Like, that's horrible. I can't believe you went that route. This is after that night yes. with mom. So mm-hmm. there was some interaction. I mean, it sounds like you guys went out of your way to avoid each other and not talk to each other, but you're in the same place. So mm-hmm. there's going to be some overlap. And this is one where he just went, how you handled that? I can't believe you did that. I wonder, because I hear that and almost instantly I'm thinking, 
well, you fucking abandoned me. Right. What other choice did I have? And I don't know if you had that in you to say mm-hmm. or feel at that time. You can even tap into what yeah. was going on with you then. Yeah, I mean, when we, when all that happened, I remember I had a laundry room, right? And so that you'd walk out the laundry room to go to the garage to go outside. He was coming in. I was coming out. He put, he grabbed me by the shirt, locked me in and, and was like, I didn't remember what he said, but it, it was like something to the effect of like, you fucked up. This is all your fault. All of this is because of you. And, wow. and I pushed him back and I was like, don't have to fucking talk to me again. Done. Like I'm done. And then, um, that's when everything started escalating and getting bad. And then I went with my homeboy and spent way too much time with him. I mean, I still talk to him, but it's not like it was. And I might be jumping around a little bit here, but it's fine. But the biggest thing that happened with me and him, he called me one day and he was like, yo, bro, like, I think I overdosed. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, where are you? He's like, I'm in your mm-hmm. fucking parking lot. And I was like, all right, hold up. I'm coming. Give me a second. I'm running out right now. And so I run outside. I can see that he hasn't slept in like three days. He's a complete wreck. Like he's all dirty. He's just a mess. And so my parents were in Greece at this point. And my brother, he was gone. He, he must have been in college. And so I was like, all right, I'm taking you home. My, my house is open. I'm taking you. Leave your car here. Let's go. And so we hop in my car, go home, put him in the shower. I put him in new clothes. I'm like, let's go get some food. You obviously haven't eaten. Let's get some water in you. And, and he's like, all right, I'm going to take a shower real quick. I'm like, cool. He pops in the shower, he comes out, and like he, I, like his face, you can tell something went wrong. Hmm. Like in those like 10 minutes where he was taking a shower, something went wrong. And he, Hmm. I'm like, dude, what happened? Like, you don't look right. And he was like, I did the rest of it. I think I'm about to die. And I'm like, holy shit, what do you mean? He's like, I finished everything. And I'm like, okay, we're going to the hospital. Fuck all this. Like, we're going right now. He's like, dude, I don't know if I can make it. And I'm like, what do you, like, come on, like, let's go, come on. And so I take him downstairs, we're walking outside. And right then I have this bench outside. And he was like, dude, my heart feels weird. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, feel this. And so I put my hand on his chest and he's sitting down at this point. So I put my hand on his chest and I could feel his heart start like, like just slowing. Super slow-mo. And so I'm like, all right, fuck this. I call 911. I'm like, hey, I need help. Like right now, like, please come here right now. And at that point, I literally felt his heart stop. And, and like he like laid back and that's right when the ambulance showed up, came in, they gave him a shot and he's like, <gasps> and I was like, holy shit, he just died. And so like mm-hmm. at that point I was probably, I was probably 19. And that was when I was like, I can't affiliate with that anymore because mm-hmm. I've been doing that for the last six years and, and being with you and doing all this shit and, and following your lead. And then that was the point where I was like, I can't. I can't do this anymore. And so I feel like I lost him too. Yeah. And then I was like, well, now what? And then ever since then, I've, it's been really hard for me to get close to people. Yeah. On like a really deep level. Because yeah. um, I feel like every time I really put my trust in somebody, like they leave to a certain extent. You know, whether it's death or or in my brother's case, just not wanting to talk anymore or or on a friend level of just not being able to connect. I, I think that's something I struggle with really, really bad. Yeah. And all this to say is my brother, he's getting married. And so it's like this weird, I don't know what that looks like for me. You know, as you said that, you're smiling and I see your eyes light up. Yeah. And, and I, I can see something behind that, but I want to know if you can tap into what that is. You know, I'm happy for him. You know, I, I, think, I think I play the role of always been accepting whenever he wants to come back. Come back where? To me, you know, in a relationship standpoint, uh, being my big brother. You know, at any point, like, he can just hit me up and that's that. But I mean... But he needs to hit you up. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I've tried, but, like, I find out that he's engaged on Facebook. And I'm Mm. like, I'm like, yo, like, what? Like, that's kind of fucked up, you know? So it's just situationally, I, I feel like I put myself out there enough to where it's like... I'm just going to let you do you. Like, you can come back if you want. If not, it's okay. You know, I understand. But Yeah. I mean, there's there's <laughs> there's a lot to dig into. <laughs> As with a lot of the things that we talk about that have happened to you in your life, there's layers there that are yeah. huge. Mm-hmm. And first and foremost, I want to give you a lot of credit for surviving as you have. Thank you. You know, I would say thriving. Mm-hmm. On paper, you've thrived but I don't think you feel like a thriving person. Mm -hmm. 
right? So you've been through a lot and you've survived it and you've done beautifully with it. And, you know, you're talking to me, so you're looking at wanting to tweak some things and wanting to change some things, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. What you walked me through previously, a little bit this time, was, you know, anything that felt like family, my family wasn't safe, didn't have my back, always afraid that something would happen. Mm -hmm. And things did happen, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So the stakes in your brain you know, we might talk about it now and you might go, oh, yeah, but they're not really that high with other things. But the stakes in your brain are life and death. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mom OD'd at 16, mm-hmm. right? Again, mm-hmm. at 17. Mm-hmm. That's life and death. Literally felt my buddy's heart stop. Yeah. And and to throw more life and death in there. And, yeah. and we'll get to all of my shit. I, I know we will. But um, my cousin, so mom's out of the family, her sister's daughter. Right. Growing up, like, again, I had a small family. And so like, I connected with my cousins on a certain level. And so when I was going through shit with my mom, she was going through shit with her mom because she was a completely different level of fucked up, like completely different. Right. And going back to our conversation last week of like, what's the bar of pain? Mm-hmm. You know, I saw my aunt as like the worst of the worst. And so my mom didn't really have it that bad. And so mm-hmm. I would talk with my cousin and like we would kind of bounce like similar things going on in our lives. And she was she was shit 15 years older than I was. And we were chatting on Facebook one night and she she kind of mentioned suicide and like and what that looks like. And and she was going through it. And I'm like, I'm going through it too. Like we're gonna be all right. Like, don't worry about it. You need me, call me. Like I, I know we're states away, but like we're close enough to where you can come up here if you need to, you know? Like we mm-hmm. we can figure that out. And then that next week was the first week I got caught with pot. And I, and like, I just had this crazy, like my parents freaked out on me. Like it was really bad. And then in the middle of all that, my mom was like, oh yeah. And by the way, your cousin died. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, she committed suicide last night. And so I was like, what? And and so they all, it was almost like I was going through my first situation where I was really in trouble and they just threw it out there. And I was like, what do you mean? And, and so it, it was like this crazy, crazy thing. And then it was just me and my mom that went to the funeral. And so mm-hmm. it was just another thing where it was like the closest person to me at that point in my life, just gone. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm really sorry. Truly. Because mm-hmm. that's, we're talking about family and the people closest to you mm-hmm. and life and death. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can sit there and nod and go, mm-hmm. and I see emotion behind that too. And I see you fighting it off. That's okay. It's okay to let it out also. Because mm-hmm. that is scary as fuck. Yeah. And unsafe. Mm-hmm. So to sit here and talk about it and go, no, nah, no, nah, man, you're, you're totally safe. Let's yeah. look at the ways that you're safe. And it's just, just look at the white cars. It's all good. Mm-hmm your brain formulated in your experiences have shown you that there is a lot of unsafe. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of abandonment. Yeah. So when you say, yeah, I got to do it alone, hundred percent. Right. Cause who in your history have you been able to count on that doesn't go away? Yeah. There's something I think incredibly powerful and impactful about just hearing your experiences. Mm -hmm. And you can talk about them, you can make sense of them, you've been through them. But man, those are very traumatic, very impactful, literally life and death situations. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And I think that's kind of why I have a different viewpoint on life and death, you know, because I I feel I grew up with a lot of death around me. And I think going back to like night terrors and kind of like where that stems from, it's like that doesn't scare me. You know, because I feel like I've been around it so much and and I've seen it and I I know life carries on, even though these people are gone, you know, life keeps going, you know, so like I always felt like on on my end, in my my brain, the way I always thought about it is like if I if I died, yeah, people are going to have a week or two where it's sad and like they're going to think about it and do a memorial and like a funeral and people are going to think about me for a while. But after that, life moves on. You know, because like I, I think I'm one of the only people that still talk about my cousin, and so it's like, it's like seeing the aftermath 
of all of that, it's like people still carry on. What does that mean for you, though? I think it gets down to the point of like being important, you know, and I think that's why I'm so gung ho on making my mark on this world and being remembered. Because if I don't do it while I'm here, nobody's going to do it while I'm gone. And mm. so it's like, I just, mm. I have to do something while I'm here. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty strong motivator. And a lot of this stuff will come back to our own, you know, death anxiety, you know, our own thoughts about our life and what that means and what the purpose is and what the mark is that we make. Mm-hmm. And it's called the rippling effect. You know, like when you throw a stone in a, in a pond and you see the ripples that it mm-hmm. creates, mm-hmm. right? The legacy that we can leave in this lifetime is the rippling effect, mm-hmm. is the effect that we have on others, and it ripples out, you know, and that can carry on forever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That pebble in the pond is about how we choose to live our life and how we impact and influence other people, you know? And mm-hmm. there's something about you that that's talking about not just wanting to make a mark and leave a mark, but doing the right thing or how you want to be, you know, and, and especially design. It's like, yeah, let me get this out there. Let me show something. Mm-hmm. You've got an incredible story of survival, how you've survived. I would love us to work on how you also thrive mm-hmm. and put that into the mix too, yeah. but sharing that in some way. Mm-hmm. And I already see glimpses of it because you are a good guy. You know, people might look at you and go, ah, crazy clothes, <laughs> spiky hair, sleeve tattoo, like, ah, this punk ass kid. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you've got, I mean, you got, got that millennial talk. You got it down. Man. I got all that. Totally. And I get, I get that all the time. Absolutely. I mean, and you're talking to a guy who in high school had ridiculously long hair, seven holes in his ears. <laughs> yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I carried around a different kind of attitude. And it was when people actually got to know me that they saw who I was. People that you sat down with, we were talking about a half hour ago. They're like, oh, this is who this is. I like him. He's real. Mm-hmm. Right? When people get to know you and maybe some of your mark and what you leave is who you really are. That at the core is a sense of authenticity and a sense of, like you said, my well-being is my number one and that never stops. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I share certain parts of my, my whole story with people because I think it's important for them to see the other side of me and hopefully connect on a certain level of like being there for them and them understanding that I've been through shit too. I think all of, like, again, I'm a true believer and everything happens for a reason, you know, mm-hmm. and I think everybody's got shit and that's part of their story. But I think the thing I'm trying to figure out right now is like, how do I plug my story in into my day-to-day life and being able to share it without putting it out there to get something back? I've got no ulterior motive in telling them this. I don't want their sympathy. I don't want their admiration. Mm -hmm. I just want them to see that this is an experience. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, I think it's really difficult. You know, I I think a lot of people, especially where I'm at, like a lot of people that I surround myself day to day, everybody wants something, you know? And so I never want to be the guy that uses this to get something out of it. Mm -hmm. I want to use it as a strength to go help people on the other side of things. What do you mean the other side of things? I think the world we live in today is very good at masking a lot of things, mm. you know, with social media and, and, and everything. I think a lot of things are fake now. And so trying to plug myself into all of that in a real way, mm. I think is really difficult. And I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. You know, I, I want, I have a certain platform that I can use, but I don't know how to use it yet. Mm. Through design, you mean? Yeah. Who you are is going to influence what you do with design. As you strengthen that, as you move forward with that and do your own thing, it's going to be infused Mm -hmm. and it will reveal itself to you. Like you said, everything happens for a reason. Okay. Well, there's difference between knowing your path and walking. Mm -hmm. And I think you're starting to walk your path. Even though we like the known (laughs) things, I want to know my path. I want to know how to get there. I want to know this. I want to know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I want to know how I'm helping and influencing. All right. As you walk your path to doing your own thing with design, whether it's the five-year plan or it happens in a year, we don't know, but that strength that you have at the core of it and what you're doing, I think will be revealed along the way. Things will fall into place along your path Mm -hmm. because of the work that you're putting into yourself, because of how you want to influence and use that 
you're not just out there to get rich. Right. You know, you have a bigger purpose in mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the whole point. I think the allure of the image is cool. You know, as a human, like, of course, that's cool. You know, it is. But at the end of the day, again, I think I said this before, but I can move back to Canada tomorrow and go live in the woods and do my own thing and, and be happy as a clam doing that. You know, and so like the riches, to your point, that's not the point. There's a foundation there mm-hmm. of wanting to give back, wanting to be of service and have purpose in what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll strengthen that foundation mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Trusting that you're doing that work, you are committed to your well being and you want others to know that and, and be about that too. Great. Mm-hmm. That's going to happen. And the more you trust that, the more we'll be able to walk down that path. That idea of doing it alone, it's not going to be alone. It's not. You're shell-shocked mm-hmm. from having relied on family and it being life and death and being burned and disappointed and scared and not safe. And it's very much not been okay. Not just new and different, but not okay. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll identify support around you so it won't feel all alone. Mm-hmm. And it will be setting you up to succeed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So trusting in that. Yeah, yeah. You're not jumping out tomorrow to do this, Yeah. right? Yeah. You're doing it and we got to be okay and feel comfortable and strong and empowered when we do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, I, I just think the biggest thing right now is trust. You know, that's the thing I need to figure out because I don't. Why would you? Right. You've been burned too many times by those closest. You know, mm-hmm. even your girlfriend right now, she's like, yes, I'm going to be your partner. We're going to do that. Like, that's not going to feel safe. Mm-hmm. Not a chance. Mm-hmm. Nothing in your brain and in, in your upbringing and in the experience you told me about, even as a little kid with that separation anxiety at school, nothing has said, it's okay to be on my own and you, I will be safe mm-hmm. and it will turn out okay. So we have an opportunity to do this in a healing way where you put people around you that we do trust that we do feel safe with mm-hmm. and that we can move forward with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get there. But I, I also just have to say, thank you for sharing this. Mm-hmm. You know, it's really impactful and I'm really impressed and proud that you've been able to come through it and be who you are and be committed to who you want to be. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you too. No, I'm, I'm stoked on it. You know, like this, it's all good stuff. You know, I mean, of course, bad things are going to be in these conversations. But I think, like, at the end of the day, like, it's all for the good. You know, and, and I think that's what I'm going for. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's look, these are our experiences. Right. We can't change them. We can just make sense of them. Mm-hmm. And then see what we want to do going forward. Mm-hmm. Which we still don't have all that much control <laughs> over. But, you know, we try. Yeah, at least right? we can try. Yeah. yeah. Welcome back. Okay, so analogies. Yeah. This one is gender neutral. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to get in so much trouble for that. Okay, so the color car example, car color example. Right. I literally had to pause and rewind because I was like, wait a minute. You didn't ask him to count how many white cars there were. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I know. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. Okay. And just hearing his just talking about perspective and he loved that. I could just, he connected with it and he was like, holy shit. Yeah, you're right. Like I didn't, you asked me to count those, but I didn't count those. And right. It's, it's something I learned when you make it, whether it's an analogy, a story, whatever it might be, make it visceral for the client. So even we talked to last week about the miracle question, I think, mm-hmm. or maybe it's two weeks ago, the very first session. Right? right. And I will often ask a client, like, okay, if it's the miracle question, you wake up in the morning and your life is different. It's wonderful. What does it feel like? What does it look like? And I'll make them stop and start from, wait, wait, no, you wake up. What kind of sheets do you have? Are they silk? Are they, you know, flannel? Are they linen? Like, They're what's your bed like? They're definitely not have- flannel. <laughs> right. Just saying. <laughs> it's something that I want them to have a very real vivid connection to the story. Mm-hmm especially if we're painting a picture or we're looking at something that's been imprinted in our brains, 
I, I want to help create new imprinting. And one great way to do that is by making it very tangible to a client. So I make them put a number in their head for the cars. Right. You know, and Drew was like, yeah, 37, 42. Yes, you, you have to have that imagery. You have to have that picture. So then when I drive the point home, you get it and you have that aha moment, right? And I think it totally worked. Yeah. Nice. The whole, where he starts talking about focusing on the good and then sort of putting aside the bad, right. but then he starts getting worried that he's been so focused on how good things are that he knows based on his patterns that when things go up, they have to go down. And just hearing him process that out loud, how I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that. I can, I think sometimes, you know, especially in therapy, we're told to focus on the positive, which I do say a lot. And also there is the reality that things are going to get hard at some point. And mm. then you talked about the pendulum. Right. Another right. beautiful analogy. <laughs> Chock full of them. Pendulum finding its center and that it's never going to be still. It's going to oscillate a little bit because balance is in a flat line. Yeah. And that's, you know, a, a lot of people, even what you're saying about the good and the bad, you know, I, I would throw into that something I learned from you, Meredith, the good, the bad, and the plaid, right? Trademark, bitches. Oh my right? God. It, because it, it really is that both of them exist yes. at all times. Yes. It's what we're choosing to focus on. And that choice might be unconscious. It might be conscious. I hope to make it a conscious choice, right. but sometimes, you know, and I listen for clients' language. They'll say something like, everything sucks. It's all so shitty. Like all? Right. Everything? Yeah. Really? Yeah, I did that okay. too. Right. And it's, it's something about a lot of people saying, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop, mm -hmm. you know, because they're going, I'm just seeing good. Everything's great, but it's going to get fucked up and they'll disqualify the positive yeah. because there's a negative looming. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I ask a lot of people that, and again, 12 step, don't yell at me when people are in the program and they relapse or they have a slip or whatever. And they've had five years and they're like, I have to, I have to start counting my days again. I say, sure. And also what about those five years? Where did right. those go? Right. Are you going to discount all the hard work you did? And I get it. Sure. If you want start your time over. Also that still happened. That didn't yeah. go anywhere. Right. You don't want to invalidate the experience you had for those five years. Exactly. You want to take a lot from it. Cause if you have to start completely over, sometimes that's overwhelming and insurmountable and you won't do it. So I have an angel wing and a devil wing tattooed on the back of each of my ears. People ask me what a devil wing looks like. I don't know. I cannot <laughs> see the back of my ear. But as a reminder that there, we always have the good and the bad, the light and the dark whispering in our ears. And that that is, both of those are part of us. We are light and dark. We are good and evil, whatever you want to call it. And I had a client who we used to talk about her black sparkly eggshell, right? That mm. it could be dark with sparkles all over it. Sure. Can't remember where the eggshell came from though. Um, <laughs> but that for people to remember that, and I, I have people all the time who are like, I'm such a bad person. And I'm right. like, okay. Right. And also, is there anything good about you? You know, I ask that, that one little, is there a tiny nugget of anything you can say? No. Okay. Right. And that's, that's that black or white thinking that right. we, we talk about. We all fall into many, many times and disqualifying the positive because we're focusing on the negative. And that's why I love the plaid. It's, it's all of that together. Right. And, and waiting for the other shoe to drop. Well, the other shoe is already on the floor. You're just not looking at it and that's okay. If you want to look at it and see it, there it is. That's genius. Now what? Doug. Amazing. Yeah. I'll trademark that too. Bitches. Yep. Yep. So he also finally for you started talking about his brother. And I what know. Happened. I know. I was very excited. He said, so my brother, and I was like, yes. <laughs> and, and you did that knowing here's Doug's cue, right? Yep. And, and like I said to you, it wasn't the time to bring it up then. Right. But now it, it was. It organically came up. Right. Yeah. You know, when he started telling the story about the incident that happened, as I was listening and he was describing the situation, I thought he was going to say that his brother sexually abused him. Oh, because he started saying like, and our beds were like this yeah. and, and they were arranged like that. Yeah. Interesting. Did that occur to you? 
Not really. No, I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, you and I have heard plenty like that. Right. And they were older. So I was like, really? And also it's just to notice that thing that happens where we have our own, you know, it's not a judgment, but something that we think is going to come up or happen, or they're going to say, you know, we are human in our minds, no matter how present and engaged we are, we still can have those, oh, I know he's about to say this, or is he going to say this? Right. And you didn't jump to that conclusion. You just had that as, oh, he might go here. And if he does, then I'm going to go here. It's almost trying to stay a step ahead or just a little out in front of something. Right. But for how we were talking about it and just the vibe that I was picking up in the room, he was telling me about how they were close and then they weren't, you know, and even how the beds were positioned or how they used to be in the same room and used to do this. It's, he was painting a different kind of picture for me. And then he got to the the part about, oh, and then there was another incident. So it kind of wasn't the specific one thing. There was a couple things that happened that wedged them even further apart. But man, that's, you know, and then he throws out that his brother's getting married. What does that mean for for him? And it was interesting because I still don't know if they've even talked. Right. And certainly not substantial talk. Maybe I'll find out. Yeah. If you haven't already found out, you probably should now that I brought that up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, just thinking, okay, so whether or not finding out he's getting married has prompted him to want to work through this stuff or whether the end goal is to be at that wedding. For me, when he mentioned his brother getting married, it didn't necessarily change anything. I knew, and I even said it to him early on in previous session, we're going to hit that. We've got time. This accelerates the timeline. That idea of, oh, now it's in front of us. Now it's not just accelerated like we need to address it, but we have an opportunity now to look at how we want to address it and how we set you up to succeed, even in talking to your brother. You know, a lot of things that that we hit on, you know, with certain analogies apply to a lot of aspects of our life, right? So it's, it's looking at that even for this. Yeah. Right. I mean, then, you know, talking about his cousin killing herself and it was a heavy session. Yeah. And some of that, we didn't go that deep into any of those things because we're still, this is our third session. We're still getting to know each other and and finding that trust and finding that, you know, that, that relationship that we really need in order to really walk through that. And for him, you know, I'm hearing that he's 24 now. He's right in the middle. Yeah. Meaning- his cousin was 32 when that happened. He was 15, I think. So having to process that at 15, you can't, especially with a lot of the other stuff he had going on. And what she must have been thinking or going through at 32, talking to a 15-year-old. So he's holding a lot of that still. And it wasn't right to go through that right there because it, it was, I think he even just said like, Oh, well, yeah. And, and I mean, just to throw more onto it, here's yeah. this one too. Right, right. right? So, yeah. So eventually maybe it'll come up again and definitely go into this more the next session. You guys sort of talk, started talking about his quote unquote story right. um, and how does he plug that into his day in day life and without asking for anything in return and all that stuff. And yeah. it was a big shift in, I mean- there was a correlation obviously between what you guys had been talking about before, but I was kind of like, Oh, okay. So <laughs> we've come out of that yeah, and into this. Yeah. Totally. And there's, there's something, you know, we talk to our colleagues a lot about the, the arc of a session and sometimes the arc doesn't necessarily look like a, a, a foothill. It's the other way around. So it looks like a, a dip, you know, I don't know how to freaking illustrate that on a podcast. Right. Yes. Right. And sometimes you go down to that deeper emotional depth. Oh yeah. But part of being a, I think a responsible therapist is to remember to lift the client back up to baseline by the time you end. Yeah. Not throw them out to the wolves. Right. Like not leave them that raw and vulnerable and torn. Yeah, absolutely. And it was recognizing that, oh, we're starting to lift back up, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and clock management, like, all right, maybe we don't have the time to stay this deep or to, or to keep going further. That's okay. And it it was then sort of what I'm reflecting to him can become more along the lines of, right, what's important to you, bringing in the presence of positive, making your mark while you're here and helping people and giving back and being authentic 
rather than, you know, the absence of the negative or right. Cause we had all this heavy stuff and we need to unpack that and we right. need to get rid of that or right. we need to deal with that. It was some way to lift him back up, but because he's now revealed this stuff to me, it's stuff that we can tap into. And if I hear other things similar to this right. or how he processed or went through, now we've got a, a frame of reference for it with what we hit. Right. Right. Well, I'm super excited to hear how, uh, okay, I've actually already heard it, but you guys <laughs> should be super excited to hear about, about Drew going out on his own or the, his thoughts about it. And yeah, you know. we scratch, we scratch a little more at the mom issue. Yep. Um, I think that comes up in the next one. And, you know, even a little bit on what we just talked about, about finding his own integrity and authenticity oh, yeah. and how you do that. So and more analogies shall be coming up. Always. Almost always. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be a really interesting session to not have an analogy and see how that goes. That would be Make weird. an analogy for that. True, true. I'd right. feel awkward if you don't have any. Yeah. So stick around. Uh, come back next week. Rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to us. Comment to us. Ask us all the questions. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. 